What was it for you that got you finally got you sober? So you finally had your last drink around 2013 or 2012, is that right? 2012, the last night of my DUI, October 9th, 2012, I was also addicted to poker, to gambling. You know, Texas Hold'em in Oceanside, there's called Ocean's Eleven out there. And I was a local there. I became like heavily addicted to gambling because my income and life was going up. So physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and financially, I say the five categories of life, I was very successful financially in 2010 and 11, but physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I was lost. And I started just looking for a escapism, a way out. When you really want to be on the right path, but you're struggling, right? And I mean, right path, meaning like you want to do good. You want to be good. You want to, you know, you want to live a good life. You want to, you know, maybe help others or find your purpose on this planet or have a sense of fulfillment or be healthy. It's like you really, you're yearning for this sense of whether it's spiritual fulfillment or personal or, or uh, you know, personal fulfillment and you're, you're trying, but you're struggling. It's like the universe, God, you know, does show up to help you. I mean, especially when you ask, you know, when you ask God to help you, when you ask for that guidance, when you ask for that support, it shows up in really interesting ways. Welcome to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Nathan is a certified holistic cancer coach, 20-time award-winning documentary filmmaker, competitive CrossFit athlete, and best-selling author of Becoming Cancer-Free. With nearly two decades in independent natural health research and education, Nathan shares his top solutions for preventing and overcoming disease while optimizing health and improving human performance. Each week, Nathan brings on highly renowned experts to share natural and holistic health science, strategies, and breakthroughs for living your healthiest, happiest, and most fulfilling life. And now, here's Nathan Crane. Mr. Stefan Rudolph, man, it's been a long time. How you doing, brother? Yeah. That's why I thought it was so meant to be, man, that the book got published and I was always thinking of you, you know, it'd be an inspiration. And we'll talk about this a lot, but, you know, from the start to the beginning, I mean, from the beginning, you know, there's no end, but a new start in life. So I think about you a lot and watch your uh, emails and your podcast and everything. So it's been like 10 years, I think, since we met exactly almost. Dude, it's been a long time, man. We, um, has it been 10 years? Yeah, 2013, I remember because I had an ankle bracelet on when I met you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we bonded pretty quickly over that. <laughs> I think you were the one to notice that my sock had a big bulge in it. And you didn't say, is that a watch or something? You just knew like, hey, that looks familiar. You said something like that. And I go, oh, you know what that is? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wore one of those when I was like 15, 16. Uh, after I got out of juvie, uh, sent back home. And then they put me on house arrest for... I think it was supposed to be a month, a month or two months, something like that. And uh, I kept like going outside the boundaries and things like that and kept getting, you know, every time you go out the boundaries or whatever, then you'd get like punished and you have to be on it longer. Yeah. I can't, I, I was on it for like months or something. I can't remember how long, but it like never. I didn't ended. have the boundary thing, but you, you must have had, yeah, like if you go outside your house, they know and the GPS reports it. And then the next day, like if I was to, yeah. the thing that it did for me was take a sweat test every 30 minutes for alcohol. So, oh, sweat test. So I had to do a breathing, um, like I had to breathe into 
some device like every so yeah, often as well, right? Cause you're not allowed to drink at all. I mean, I was a teenager, you're not allowed to drink anyway, but I was full blown alcoholic as a teenager. And that was one of the issues. Yeah. One of the many reasons they sent me to juvie and put me on house arrest. Right. So I had to like, yeah, they would like call it at a certain time and it was in the house. And then I had to like breathe into it. And I had to, it was like voice recognition, dude, the technology they had over 20, what was that? Over 21 years ago, I think. Right. Wow. 15, 16. Yeah. It was tw over 20 years ago. It was like voice recognition. It had a sensitivity thing on it. It was like, you couldn't have somebody else blow into it for you. You had to do it your <laughs> yourself. Yeah. That was the big thing. My breathalyzer in my car. I did that a couple of times. I had a sober, uh, when I was still drunk in 2008 a lot, but I had a sober passenger. And one time I remember giving it to him and he blew in it. <laughs> so the car would start. <laughs> Yeah, and that worked. That worked. You got that. Yeah, worked it you? works because every randomly <laughs> the same thing for a breathalyzer. Once you once it goes beep 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 beep, you got like a minute to pull over and blow in it. And I don't ever pull over. I never did that. But I I was drunk one time. I go, oh man, you know, can you start this or or no? I had to, I had to give it to him to start the car. And he's like, yeah, what are you doing? I go, well, I had a couple beers earlier. And he goes, what? <laughs> you know, you're you're on you're on uh, probation. Oh no, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. And so he blew in it, and then we're driving about 10 minutes later. It went off again. He blew in it again. We got home. I don't know what I was doing driving, but I guess we can discuss that too, huh? Some of this journey. Hey, man, we're talking about it. We're rolling. This is a super, super casual, you know, podcast, just friends talking. So, hey, um, okay. how long have you been sober now? Uh, I lost count. That's good. What is it? 11 years. <laughs> 11 years. 11 Nice. Yeah, since the time I met you, that's the irony of your uh, first book that I saw. Uh, what's the name again? Sorry, but the uh, the twenty seven flavors. Yeah, twenty seven flavors. So me and Nate here for everybody. I got it right here. We just redid. Yeah. We just redid the cover. Added a new uh, expert as part of it. And um, dude, I remember. You know, with the cold and flu season here, it's critically important that we enhance and strengthen our immune systems. Yes, would you agree? The problem is, though, that there's so much confusion out there when it comes to what actually works for our bodies and for our health. Well, I'll tell you what I used. I used Maison Beljansky's wellness products. Maison Beljansky's products are backed by science to not only help empower the immune system, but can support detoxification and contribute to our overall health. Coming from Europe, the all-natural Beljansky formulas are now available in the United States and are recommended by top doctors everywhere. A lot of the colleagues I work with, functional medicine practitioners that work with patients with all kinds of diseases, are recommending Maison Beljansky's products to their very own patients. As a special sponsor of this podcast, Maison Beljansky has included a very special discount offer for all of my listeners. You can get 15% off your first order using the promo code Nathan, and you'll always enjoy free shipping when you order four products or more. You can grab your wellness products today at MaisonBeljansky.com. That's M-A-I-S-O-N-B-E-L-J-A-N-S-K-I, MaisonBeljansky.com, and use code Nathan for 15% off. Hey, so if you've been following me for any time now, you know that I often talk about Helin 951, the nitrogen fermented organic soy 
drink. I first learned about it at an integrative cancer event years ago, and I've been taking this myself for a long time. It's so potent and it has a strong flavor. So I add their organic mint powder to it and it's easy to take any time of day. I usually take it in the mornings. You know, I'm constantly looking into natural health products and the ones that catch my eye are the ones with years of proven results and the science and research to back them up. I love that Helin 951 checks all of these boxes. Made from a unique 100% organic soybean grown in the high mountains of Mongolia, Helin 951 has some incredible health properties. Just a few of the benefits are more energy, better sleep, detox, longevity, better immune function, and some fantastic anti-cancer compounds. The folks over at Helin have made a page just for our followers to learn more. You can head over to Helin951.com forward slash crane. That's H-A-E-L-A-N. 951.com forward slash crane. They have special discounted packages there for you to get you started. And if you use the promo code crane, C-R-A-N-E, at checkout, they will also give you free shipping. So head over and grab this special offer for yourself and use the free shipping promo code crane, or just give them a call if that's easier for you. They are so easy to work with and have over 32 years in the industry. Again, that's helin951.com forward slash crane. I remember the thing that I actually tell people is your story because you would bring this book to the gym. Where'd we, where'd we meet? Was it 24 hour fitness? I think LA fitness, playing racquetball in Vista. Yeah. Was it LA fitness or 24 hour fitness? LA fitness. Definitely. Yeah. LA fitness. So yeah, you'd bring this thing, dude. And it was so epic to see like you, every chapter was marked up and you had notes and you underlined and highlighting and all that stuff. I was like, that's one of the things that I think um, we connected you know, right away, it was like, I saw how passionate you were about your own personal development, personal growth, just as I am and yeah. have been, you know, for 17 years. And like to take a book and like mark it up and read it, you know, write it down and make notes and all that stuff. It's like, this dude's serious about personal growth, about health, about his own life. And, you know, for me, like, I see someone that that's really, you know, who's that serious about their own growth. I'm like, this is a dude I want to hang out with. Yeah. And we have that age category. I feel like I, I joke about my age. I'm 52, by the way, now. But Damn, dude, I look at you and I always think you're like, that's crazy. I always think you're like early 40s. I could like, be your so dad, you're dude. 52 <laughs> now. Holy shit. That's crazy. Yeah. But that's I, turn awesome. the, I turn the numbers around. I always do this stuff in life. I'm 25, dude. I feel like when we <laughs> met too, especially at that time in 2013, so I was 42, but minus 25 years of drinking plus, you know, so much, so much sobriety. I kind of do do the math that way. I feel like I lost a big part of my life for those out there that know what I'm talking about with addiction and recovery and then going back and forth and then losing everything, getting everything, you know, it was like I had this life and I lost it and then I had it again and I lost it. And it was a cycle of insanity. Every three years for me, I got a DUI, mm. four DUIs. And it was like doing better, losing it, doing better. So I feel like 25 years out of my life, I didn't lose it. I learned from it. And that's why I'm here at this age as a generation X to help people you as a millennial to help people us to come together to help people. You know, I just really bonded with you because of your story then. So I'm playing racquetball with Nate here and, and we're playing, I think maybe a couple of days, I don't know exact time, but I, we're, you know, pretty good teammates together, you know, playing mm -hmm. doubles. And I go out of the, of the court one time after game and there's a, it says 27 flavors of fulfillment sitting outside your bag. By Nathan Crane, I go, you're an author? I want to be an author. I want to do this. I want to do that. And so we just like immediately 
the law of attraction, God, everything else in the universe brought us together. And I started learning about your story. Then we played in some tournaments, that funny picture with us sitting there. I think we won second place. And we got we like won a, a little bit of money. Check. We won a little bit of money on that one, didn't we? We had like a check it was or something. Twenty five dollars each. <laughs> <laughs> I think my I think my daughter was there. like in that picture too. Your she was like a couple in the years picture old. Going, oh, what's going on? <laughs> Dude, racquetball was. I mean, you still play, right? Yeah, yeah. You're still pretty serious. I bet you're really good. I haven't played forever, but when when I was playing there, you know, five, six, seven days a week with you there at LA Fitness, it was. It was so addicting and it was so much fun and it was like one of the coolest it's one of the coolest sports there is for sure like it is just yeah. it's so fast and you got to be so quick and you got to be so spot on with your shot uh man we go in there and play for hours two three hours just sweating like crazy i i love it man i i haven't played it. actually i played I, about it. I picked up my rackets um few months ago went to la fitness here and started playing a little bit but i've just i've got other training priorities right now so it was like eh, i put them put my uh, rackets back down but getting back into it was a lot of fun um yes i got out of it when i moved to santa fe new mexico because like there was nobody that played i went from having a gym where we'd have what like 20 to 40 guys every night playing for yeah. hours and then i moved to santa fe new mexico this was from san diego to santa fe and there was literally, I couldn't find anybody to play with. So for seven years, I just, you know, collected dust on my rackets, which kind of sucked. But <laughs> I bet you're really good Part now. Yeah, racquetball, the addiction I felt to it was a replacement for the addiction I felt to alcohol, to drugs. And I really emphasize that in my book now and to helping and coaching and what we work with is be addicted to something else in life, to health, to wellness, to positivity, you know, and use the objects in life as fuel for growth in life. And I was under the impression that I would never play again. If you remember my story too, I had epilepsy. I had 20 years of epilepsy that I dealt with from a football injury in high school and then later had brain surgery in 2007. So when I came back one year sober in 2007, I moved back to San Diego. I got in the court for the first time and literally in Kearney Mesa, I kissed the court. I got down on my knees and I kissed the court. I love racquetball. My biological father introduced it to me when I was like 11 years old. And back and forth, it was a good addiction. It helped me lose weight, stay healthy. But then alcohol took over my life from like 2008 until 2012. So even if I tried to get back into racquetball, I couldn't because it the epilepsy returned. And I was just being stupid as an addict is and drinking, escaping. I was hungover. And then I would try to play racquetball in 2009. I had a seizure. I cracked my head open in the uh, Vista locker room there. I had multiple seizures in 2009 and 10 before we met. Jeez. And again, racquetball was the addiction and alcohol was the addiction. And I chose alcohol, you know, and I, I even sold my rackets in 2010 and 11. I sold all my gear. I, fuck, I couldn't I couldn't handle life. And I was just constantly escaping. And I chose alcohol over fitness and ended up with a DUI two years later. You know, that that fourth DUI was my final DUI. Luckily, I stopped digging, they call it right. So, what you know, you, what was it for you that got you finally got you sober? So you finally had your last drink around 2013 or 2012. Is that right? 2012. The last night of my DUI, October 9th, 2012. I was also addicted to poker, to gambling. You know, Texas Hold'em in Oceanside. There's called Ocean's Eleven out there. And I was a local there. I became like heavily addicted to gambling because my income and life was going up. So physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and financially, 
I say the five categories of life. I was very successful financially in 2010 and 11, but physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I was lost. And I started just looking for an escapism, a way out. And I got into poker, Texas Hold'em. And it was fun. It was, I would win 500, you know, think I'm all bad. And the next day lose a thousand, you know, next day win 300, next day lose 500. And it was back and forth. Every paycheck I got making 80, 90,000 a year at the time was gone. I literally had in my spreadsheet of a budget, how much I could drink that week, $300 to alcohol, $300 to gambling. It was part of my budget. That's how bad it was. And it was fun to a point, you know, when you're an addict, you're having fun. But again, going back, I gave up racquetball, I gave up fitness, I gave up health, I just didn't care. I really could not see the light in life, I call it, to get out of there. So in October 9th, 2012, I went to multiple bars. I kept driving, drinking and driving to bars, you know, three bars at night. I ended up at the casino and I blacked out and I had about $800, if I remember correctly. I was looking down at all these chips and I wake up about two hours later or whatever time it was. And the guy's like, why'd you bet that? You know, he's looking at me like, what a dumbass bet. And I was like, what? And I looked down, I had the worst hand and I lost $800 or some huge amount of chips. Everything. I had lost every cent in my life except for the change in my car. And I drove out, bought a burrito. For some reason, three out of four of my DUIs were Albertos related. So I laugh at that now, but I was always getting a burrito. You know, I remember those Albertos burrito. burrito. I remember those Albertos burritos, man. Those were those were as addicting as alcohol. I'll tell you what. <laughs> I've been eating them longer than you've been alive. <laughs> so <laughs> 30 plus years here in Escondido. But I, I remember getting that burrito and then I blacked out again. And instead of getting on the freeway right there, remember in 76 and I-5 here in Oceanside, I blacked out and I was going down 76 inland, you know, and I wake up and I'm in a big four by four lifted truck, you know, the machismo part of making money. And I'm driving and I go, where am I going? I just was like kind of stunned. Like, why did I go this way? The universe, God, everything brought me that way. And I think it was about 1130 at night that I was driving home and a lady had pulled out in front of me and it was her fault in the long run. But it was very ironic. She's at a red light. She turns right. It's on El Camino and 76 up here in Oceanside. And I went over her hood of her car. Jeez. If she was about five feet further out, I would have killed her and her passenger. I'd still be in prison to this day. I got so lucky. I didn't even see her. I blacked out and I wake up to this boom, boom. And I thought it was a speed bump. Literally, I thought, oh, I'm going to look up and, it, and I lost control of the vehicle. And luckily it was lifted. If it wasn't lifted, I would have smashed into her. It went over her hood. Literally like boom, boom. And I look, ooh. And I peel out 180. I look up Oceanside police station. I'm right in front of the police station, dude. And I was just like, thank you, God. I immediately was like, I was so upset. I started crying and I'm like, thank you. That's where this book came from. And the idea started on the seed that was planted that night. I need this. I'm too addicted. I'm too messed up. I get out of the car. I look at her. She's okay. She's like, I'm sorry. Immediately. Luckily she said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was my fault. Otherwise, that would have been a felony. I would have been in jail. Even if I didn't kill her, I, it would have been a felony. And in the long run, the cops came out because they're right there. I got arrested. I didn't say anything. I didn't even take a breathalyzer. I denied everything. I was on a probation for my third DUI already. So I had to have 0.0. .0 as you know, if you're on probation, you can't have anything. And I said, nope, I'm not doing the breathalyzer. I'm not doing anything. I can't do this. I'm just, just take me in. Just whatever. Do a blood test. And they were trying to make me walk and do everything. I thought I was being smart by denying everything. But basically, 
in the law, if you deny everything, you admit guilt pretty much, you know, even though they haven't tested, you lose your driver's license, you lose your ability for a year. And I just didn't care. I I went to jail that night. Hey, I just want to take a quick second and thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you're enjoying it so far. As a special thank you for tuning into this episode, I want to give you my number one Amazon best-selling book absolutely free. You can go download it right now at becomingcancerfree.com. If you want to learn evidence-based strategies for helping your body become a cancer-fighting machine for not only cancer reversal but cancer prevention, go grab a copy of the book. Again, I'm just giving it to you for free. You can go download it at becomingcancerfree.com. Dot com. All right, let's get back to the show. And I think she was drunk, honestly, a little drunk. I was wasted beyond repair, I call it. And later I blew a 0.24. They found out from my blood test, I blew a 0.24. So that is three times above the limit here in San Diego and California. And the way they got it, though, as I went to jail, I said, I'm not going to do it. I was fighting them. They had three sheriffs on me holding me down. I did not want to do a blood test. I wanted just to get it out of my system and, you know, take a test tomorrow. They knew that. So they had like literally just three big guys holding me down, took a blood test and that was it. And I still didn't admit anything. I just was like, I don't want to answer any questions. I want an attorney thought I was smart and they processed it the next day. And then they said, okay, you can bail out. They didn't run my record. Ironically, here's the, the, the whole irony of the story and the meant to be ism I call it is I was in jail and I thought I can bail out. It's $2,500. If you know, 10%, 250 bucks. Okay. I can do that. And God, the universe said, don't, don't go anywhere. You need to absorb this moment. Be in the moment of now, be thankful for jail, be thankful for the DUI, thankful for the accident. And I said, I need to be in here at least a night or two. You know, I want to see what the jail's like in a crazy way. And I did. And I went in there, but then they processed my background and they said, this is your fourth DUI. This is going to be your fourth DUI. Uh, you have a $75,000 bail now. And I couldn't get out. And I had to pay 10%. <laughs> I and I didn't anyway. have that. And I was like, what did I do? Universe. <laughs> oh, screw the universe. I wanted to get out. I was having withdrawals. I was having DTs, delirium tremors. They put me on medication for my uh, shakes coming off alcohol. That's how bad it was. And I just denied still everything. I, I never admitted I had drinking that night, but they knew. With that blood test, they processed it and they said, well, we have to ship it up to Sacramento with all the other tests. It's going to take about three to four weeks. So do you want to bail out? It's like, I was stuck. I was stuck there. And, I, and it took four weeks to get back. And my good buddy, Ty Cars, who's a, my attorney, I mentioned his name because he went to the same high school here in Escondido. And he became a, uh, a DUI attorney, ironically. And I got him through my mom. I was able to call and got an attorney. And it took about four weeks once I got the blood test back, 0.24, whatever it was. And Ty was like, dang, you know, he's like all this experience. He goes, you could have, you should have been dead probably. You know, you should not be here or you could have killed somebody. So humbling me for six weeks in there exactly. The irony of this is 42 days I spent in there to one week of processing, four weeks to get the blood test back, another week to get through the court, get my ankle bracelet on. And I was sitting in in there writing, like you said, I was, I was reading, I was taking a lot of notes and just being able to be thankful in every way and every in you know, turn the F U's to thank you's I said. So I came up with that in jail. <laughs> I wanted to be thankful and I got processed and then I got the ankle bracelet, but the whole thing, I said, I need to understand why I'm here and how long I'm here. And 42 days, I did the math later times 24 hours is 1,008 hours. 
four hours of processing in, four hours of processing out. And I wrote the book later, 1000. Thank you to the 1000 power. So I was thank, thank you, thank you, thank you all day, every day. You know, for that many days, I was thankful. And I said, that's exactly 1000 hours that I was in there. You know, it didn't come until later, like two years later. But when I did the math and I realized I need to help other people and I need to get my message out there. And I didn't know what to call it, but I just came up with that later. Be thankful of every minute of every day and turn the FUs to thank yous. So you inspired me as well. Stories like you, everything else. So it's been a journey for all of us, right? Yeah, that's crazy, dude. It's I mean, it's amazing that you didn't kill that woman and yeah and you did ran, you know did that right in front of the police department which was yeah. you know because because let's say it was technically her fault and then you know she doesn't want to deal with it you don't want to deal with it you guys drive go your separate ways and then you know maybe maybe you do end up killing somebody when you're driving again because you didn't actually get arrested that night you know the what ifs you could go on forever but i do really believe and i've seen it in my own life you've seen it in your life a lot of people have seen it in their lives where you know when you're when you really want to be on the right path, but you're struggling, right? And I mean, right path, meaning like you want to do good. You want to be good. You want to, you know, you want to live a good life. You want to, you know, maybe help others or find your purpose on this planet or have a sense of fulfillment or be healthy. It's like you really, you're yearning for this sense of whether it's spiritual fulfillment or personal or, or uh, you know, personal fulfillment and you're, you're trying, but you're struggling. It's like the universe, God, you know, does show up to help you. I mean, especially when you ask, you know, when you ask God to help you, when you ask for that guidance, when you ask for that support, it shows up in really interesting ways, sometimes in ways yeah. that, that you can't even imagine or fathom or think that that's actually what you need. Like in that case, almost running this lady over and going to jail. And then, you know, you, you had the wherewithal and the wisdom to say, Hey, thank you for this. I needed this. Right. Most people don't. And I didn't for a yeah. long time, you know, I went in and out of jail, you know, house arrests. And, you know, when I got on probation, first time I got on probation, I think I was, I was early teenager. I don't remember how old I was 13, 14. And my probation officer comes in and, you know, puts, um, puts my file on his desk and it's like got a couple pieces of paper in it, right? A little manila file, very thin. He said, this is your yeah. file. And then he grabs this other kid's file and he slams on the desk. It's like this thick, right? And he's like, wow. like, this is what happens when you don't do the right things and you just keep coming back and coming back and coming back. You'd be on probation forever. Right, right. Like this kid, he's like, this is your file now. Let's keep it like this. No more yeah. infractions, no more, you know, anything. And I was like, okay. But, you know, for me, it wasn't, um, that wasn't enough to, you know, keep me out of trouble. And by the time I finished probation, as I still remember this, he pulled out my file and this was a few years later. I, I was supposed to be on probation for like a couple months and I was on probation for years, right? He pulls my yeah. file and puts it on the desk. And I remember looking at it and it was thicker than that kid's, the first one that he oh my showed God. me. And I was just, and that was like, it was a big realization. He didn't say anything about it. I remember just seeing it and I had that flashback and I was like, holy shit. You know, thinking yeah. back of like all the arrests, all the charges, all the in and out of jail and juvie and, 
you know, the continuous house arrest and on and on and on and on and on and on. Same thing. Like I had these miraculous, you know, situations, even throwing knives at cops and like them letting it oh go God. and not charging me a felony and all kinds of things where I swear, you know, I had angels looking out for me. There was a deep part yeah. of me that I know wanted to live a good life. And there was the, the conscious part of me that had no idea how to do that. And I was just digging myself deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, right? Into drug addiction, into drug dealing, into, you know, alcoholism, into theft and robbery, into hanging out with, you know, gang bangers and gang members. And, you know, and it was just like darker and deeper and darker and deeper until it literally was like, I'm going to be in prison for the rest of my life. The feds are looking for me. They're arresting my friends, asking about my name, you know, off the highway and unmarked blacked SUVs. Right. And uh, they're telling me about this later. Like, so it's, I'm going to be in prison or I'm going to be dead. That's it. Those were like the only two things that I saw. And then my best friend at the time, Gabe, he goes, I'm moving to San Diego. I got to go. I got to get out of here. You know, I was 18 at that time. And, and I just thought, this is my ticket out. I'm going with you. You know, I've got to change my life. I got to, and, and like within short amount of time, we packed, you know, suitcase, uh, jumped in my 88 Cadillac Coupe de Ville, you know, red and white leather interior, <laughs> you know, I don't know, a hundred bucks. Like an easy couple, song. <laughs> yeah. We had like a couple hundred bucks and we drove San Diego in Oceanside, ran uh -huh. out of gas there and basically, started my life over there, uh, which, you know, that's where I remember you told me that the universe put you there because you ran out of gas right on the 78 there. Right. Well, basically, we we went down to go. So he had Gabe had family in uh, right near Tijuana in uh, Chula Vista and, and then an uncle in Oceanside. We went down to Chula Vista. We thought we we're going to be able to stay with his aunt and she was going to kind of get us on our feet and stuff like that. She basically says, nope, not helping you guys. You guys are trouble. Smart. Stay away. <laughs> So then we go yeah. to Oceanside. We literally like we were down Chula Vista and we stopped by the beach and we're like, I think we had like a few bucks left to our name, barely enough money for gas to even get up to Oceanside. Hey, I just want to pause a second and ask you, are you enjoying this episode so far? Are you getting good value from this content? If so, then I know you're going to absolutely love Healing Life at healinglife.net. You get exclusive and premier access to hundreds of the top world's doctors, experts, cancer conquerors and survivors, exclusive interviews that I have done with all these experts and doctors uh, that are not available for free online. They're only available at healinglife.net. So not only do you get access to all of those, but you actually get to speak with these doctors and experts and ask them any question you want about health and healing. And this is available exclusively to Healing Life members. You can try it out for free. Go to healinglife.net and you can start your free trial there. And uh, whether you're interested in learning more about detox or cancer, diet and nutrition and nutritional science, about diabetes, about heart disease, autoimmune disease, anti-aging, longevity, all of these topics are covered in depth and more are continuing to be added at Healing Life. And again, you get to talk to these doctors yourself. So I invite you to set up a free trial at healinglife.net and i hope to see you over there now let's get back to the show he gets in touch with his uncle who was in oceanside and um you know that's a whole other long crazy story of <laughs> moving in with this guy that was like bringing all these uh you know illegal mexicans across the border giving them papers giving them identities giving them jobs these were good people 
you know, working hard. This wasn't his uncle, but the guy that we met through his uncle that gave us a room to sleep in for a while. And, you know, but bring him across the border, give him jobs, give him, you know, um, a place to stay and, and, you know, papers and stuff like that. Cause they want to take care of their families in Mexico. And yeah. anyway, long story short with that was, yeah, we drove to Oceanside cause that's where his uncle lived. He got us first to stay. And that's, we were out of money by that point. It's like, we ran out of gas. We had no money. We needed to borrow. You know, I think we borrowed like a hundred bucks from his uncle. We were, Gabe and I were sitting, uh, you know, in Oceanside, you got the main street that runs down there. That's got all those little shops, the CBD shops and all that kind of bars yeah. and stuff. Right. Right along the mm -hmm. beach, right before you get to the beach, you've got like that main street. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. And, PCH area. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. PC, yeah. We'd sit down there on the sidewalk and Gabe would play his guitar and we would sing and I'm, you know, I think I'm a great singer, but nobody else does. I don't know why, <laughs> but you know, we, we'd make like $5 a day and we'd literally go and buy bread and lettuce. We'd make bread and lettuce sandwiches and we had oh. a re refillable one gallon jug that after, by the way, people don't do this. Don't reuse regular plastic jugs, especially for weeks uh, because yeah. they're not meant to be reused. <laughs> You know, after two yeah. or three weeks of that, it was like, it. I would have this smell. I'm like, where's the smell coming from? It smells like rotten, you know, something. It was in the heat all day too. <laughs> and then one time I was drinking, yeah. I, it smells like, oh, it's the water. Oh, it's the jug. We're like drinking this moldy, anyway, bread and lettuce Damn sandwiches. Food. And that's, you know, we were on the street basically playing, you know, five bucks a day. People would give us money just because they felt sorry for us. You know, they're like, what the heck are these kids doing? Yeah. But that was it. That was the start over. You know, that was and, and I actually so got sober for the first time in many years. I was 18 years old and I because I started people don't know, like the first time I started smoking, I think it was like nine years old. First time I smoked weed, I was somewhere between 10, 10 and 11, I think, you know, started smoking cigarettes at that age, started drinking by 12 hard drugs by 13, 14, full blown addict, you know, from basically 14, 15 years all the way up to 18 years old full-blown addict and multiple drugs, cigarettes, alcohol, everything, literally almost dead at 18. And, um, and so that was the first time I was sober in like years, you know, and, uh, I was with nothing, right. A few dollars a day. And I felt better and more free and happier than I had felt that I could even remember. It was so amazing, yeah. you know, to be there basically homeless on the side of the street, making $5 a day, with nothing. And I felt so free. I felt so happy because the first time in many years, I felt like there was actually some, you know, like this new adventure. I call it a weight, a weight lifted. Like maybe that weight was lifted off your shoulders. Is that right? Well, I, absolutely. Way. The weight, yeah, the fog, right? Like the fog, like when you're smoking weed yeah. every day, you're drinking every day, you're doing hard drugs every day, popping pharmaceuticals, doing cocaine, you name it, you know, and it's like all that is just gone. And here's crazy too. talk about, you know, God universe supporting you. I tried stopping or I actually didn't even try. I was like 17 years old and I couldn't drink alcohol for like six hours one day because we had to go. I had to make some money. So I was moving some furniture and I started having the DTs and I almost died that day. I was so sick, shaking, throwing up everything. Right. I got the DTs so bad. I mean, I'd wake up and drink you know, shots of vodka at five in the morning, you know, vodka and orange juice. I'd drink, you know, between my dad and I, you know, half gallon of vodka a day, easy, right? Like full blown alcoholic at 16, 17 years old. And when we moved to California and I got, we got 
sober cold turkey. I had no withdrawals. I had no DTs. And I was, I was clear-minded within 24, 48 hours. It was crazy. I'd never had anything like that before stopping all that. And then I was like on this high, this mental emotional high for like the next six months. It was so incredible. It was just like lining yourself up with what you should be doing in your life that's good for you. I really feel like angels come, God's there. It's like you get this support to help you do the right thing, but you got to take the action, right? Leaving our lives behind and starting over, like that was hard action, you know? Like that's, that's not easy for people to do, like you. You know, it's like you took that action and said, hey, God, man, like, I'm, I'm God, done with this shit. People out there. People out there speaking to everybody has they you have to have a higher power in sobriety. Doesn't matter. Remember in AA and NA, they say if you don't believe anything, uh, it's a doorknob, the doorknob theory. Just pray to the doorknob or or meditate. And that's the thing that we do that we met. You meditate, your holistic healing that I liked about you, the nutrition that you were doing, um, uh, this everything. And I was like, wow, I, I never thought of meditation. I, I was introduced to it in 2004 at a rehab, trying to save my marriage at the time. And I could not be quiet. I, there was a big room of people doing yoga and then we had to meditate and home. And I was like, <laughs> I was like laughing. I go, the ego was so controlling that it could not handle silence. And this other young lady was there. We're talking, you know, kind of flirting even at the time. And she started laughing. So we ran out. That was my first introduction to meditation. And we're laughing about meditation. But later, that's what sobriety and what your lifestyle and the kind of what we started sharing was health, nutrition, wellness. And I call it in the book MAP, which is meditation, awareness, and prayer. Now, if you don't pray, I just say positive thinking, but meditation and manifestation, awareness and attitude, you know, change your awareness of who you're around, your attitude in life, prayer and or positive thinking. So a lot of it shifted in your life going back because you just sobered up at what, 18, but when, when did you fully sober up? I was curious too. Like, stop yeah, I was going to, I was going to ask you the same question. Like how many times did you get sober and then, you know, fall off the wagon again? Cause for me, it took well, a long time. Yeah. It took a long time to fully get sober, right? Like I was sober. So at 18, yeah. I was sober for like six months, which was the longest I'd been sober in probably five years up to that point. Right. Four or five years. Um, there was two or three years where I wasn't sober for a single 24 hour period from when I was maybe from 15 to 18 or 16 to 18. Exactly. Where I wasn't yeah. I mean, talk about being stone high drunk on hard drugs, cocaine, meth, uh, opium, you name it, literally 24 hours a day for two to three years nonstop. Right. So that's what I mean. When I got sober for those six months, it was like I was actually more high than when I was high. It was so incredible. But six months and then i kind of like you know i got uh, i was on this high paced sales job i was commission only i was you know really grinding and i was working shit we'd work we'd start like seven eight in the morning wouldn't be done till like nine o'clock at night and then you know a lot of young you know sales people were hanging out with and all of a sudden you know get invited to a party start drinking a little bit yeah, yeah i would drink on the weekends that's all right you know little drink here and there little smoke here and there, no problem. And then all of a sudden, just like that, it's like I'm drinking every night. So I'm working like 16 hours yeah. a day. And then we drink for like, you know, until midnight, sleep five or six hours, and then start again and do that seven days a week. Cause that job, I literally, we had pretty much no days off and it was crazy, man. That company actually went bankrupt. They had a bunch of problems. They were a T-Mobile re reseller. 
you know, largest one in yeah. the country. And then, you know, I got promoted to assistant manager and then manager and then district manager. I was running multiple locations, you know, hiring, managing, training, firing, um, recruiting and being a top salesperson at like 19 years old. Um, you know, one of the youngest, highest paid. And then I got a promotion to be a regional sales director. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. I want to take a quick second and let you know about something really special. I recently updated I think uh, you might benefit greatly from something I think you might enjoy and want to take a look at. And it is my book called The Panacea Cleanse. It's a powerful 12-day plant-based detoxification and healing guide. It's already hit number one in four categories on Amazon. There's thousands of people that have done this cleanse, and I've read so many testimonials from it. Let me read you one really quick. Aaron said, I did the Panacea Cleanse and followed your instructions closely. I had amazing results. I stayed healthy while everyone around me, my kids and family, were getting very ill from a virus. I also lost some weight and my menstrual cycles are much less painful. I also don't have bad headaches anymore. Thanks for the information you put out. She's just one of thousands who have gained tremendous benefit from this cleanse. If you want to improve the quality of your life and your health, clean out your organs, clean out your digestive tract, help lose weight and burn fat, and basically give you more energy, help you feel alive, go check out The Panacea Cleanse, P-A-N-A-C-E-A, -A -A, The Panacea Cleanse on Amazon. It's like 12 bucks or something like that. And you can follow it day by day. It's got a recipe list. It's got a shopping list. It's got everything you need in there to follow this powerful cleanse. It took me about two years to create it. My wife and I have done it multiple times. It's been amazing in our own lives, and I'm happy to share it with you. So uh, go check it out if you're interested, the Panacea Cleanse. It's on Amazon. Thanks, and let's get back to the show. Uh, all of that within like less than a year and a half, but at the same time, my health was deteriorating. My mental wellness was deteriorating. I was still smoking cigarettes. I hadn't quit smoking yet. I was still smoking a pack to two packs a day. So I'm like 19 now going on 20. Um, then I get this promotion to basically be making six figures a year at like 19 years old. I'm, you know, managing multiple teams of people, multiple locations, hiring, training, firing, and I'm getting sick. I'm eating breadsticks at the mall. You know, I'm eating, you know, three Red Bulls a day, drinking three Red Bulls a day, big, huge thing of Starbucks in the morning um, and eat like a big bag of bread, you know, breadsticks, buttery cheesy breadsticks red bulls cigarettes and then drinking at night know. oh dude i was like yeah, no wonder no wonder i started getting sick i started and talk about you know the universe speaking to you i literally got the invitation to corporate to be promoted to regional sales director which was like huge huge thing for this company right and at yeah. the same time i had just been on this downward spir spiral of feeling more and more sick, more and more sick. And this, I'm like, what is going on? And this voice inside saying, you need to quit. You need to quit. You need to quit. And I finally, they gave me the promotion and I turned it down and I quit right there on the spot. And I said, I can't do this anymore. And I spent a month just like drinking all my money away. Any money I had left yeah. over, I, I just drank it away. And then I got this, boom, this inspiration call this real estate guy who tried recruiting me, you know, a year prior and called him, got an interview. I literally that week, I made some huge decisions. Number one, I said, I'm done smoking. 
And I quit smoking cold turkey and I had the worst three or four days of my life. <laughs> it was terrible. I told my friends that I was living with, I had some roommates. I was like, I'm going to be an asshole for like the next three days. Just deal with it. <laughs> I was like, I'm quitting smoking. And I did it and it was tough. But I went down to that interview with this young, you know, young real estate millionaire and I'm sitting with him and I'm like, I'm like shaking. My hands are sweating. I'm like, I feel so weird. And I told him, I'm like, I'm sorry if I seem weird and I'm sweating. I'm, I just quit smoking like three days ago. But, you know, long story short with that is, I got sober again, and then here I am with these young real estate millionaires. Boom, start partying again, going to clubs every night. I'm not even 21 yet. I get a fake ID, and we're partying at clubs downtown San Diego every night, and they're spending thousands of dollars, and I'm just going along for the ride, showing up in BMW 750s, you know, the whole thing. And then, you know, there was a couple times there where, like, one time I did ecstasy again, which I swore, like, I'd never do hard drugs again. And I did, I did XC and I felt so bad about myself because I had taken, you know, probably a couple years where I hadn't touched it after I moved to San Diego and, and I did ecstasy and I just, I felt, I did something so terrible to my good friends. Like I hit on my good friend's girlfriend and it like destroyed our relationship, right? Nothing happened between us, but like I was hitting on her and like, that was just so yeah. Like it, it damaged my integrity of myself so much and damaged my relationship with my friend that like it just, and, and I felt so terrible after doing that drug when before I felt amazing in Montana doing it as a teenager, right? I was addicted to all that stuff. I did that one time and then never touched it again after that. And then same thing about it within a year later, you know, went and did cocaine again. One time felt so terrible, you know, up all night, couldn't sleep, just felt like a piece of shit, literally. It was like, why am I doing this? What is wrong with you? And then just my mind, boom, going through this repetitive thing in my mind of like, this is it, never again. Uh, you know, just keep repeating to myself, never touching this again. This was a mistake, never do this again, just like thousands of times. And so that was the last time I ever touched that. I think I was 20 or 21. And then, so that was... Uh, you know, uh, 16, 15 years ago. And, but then, but then, and then, so never again with that, never again, the hard drugs, even pharmaceuticals, not even ibuprofen. Right. But, um, and cigarettes, cold Turkey, weed, same thing. But then the, I did do weed a couple times here and there over those years, but it was more of like a ceremonial kind of meditation, spiritual kind of experience, which is conversation for a different day, but basically stopped, stopped that as well. Um, the, the tough one for me was alcohol, man. It's run in my family for so long. That was the toughest for me to finally, finally quit 100%. Because I would convince myself, yeah, I don't need hard alcohol anymore, right? Um, I, I'll just drink beer and wine. Uh, but hard alcohol is bad for you. So stop hard alcohol. But then I'd be drinking beer and then it'd go from the weekends to every day or whatever. And I was like, no more beer, just wine. And then, you know, wine, I'd have one glass. I'm like, wine's healthy, resveratrol. It's good for your immune system, blah, 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 bullshit. Yeah. They tell you, which is not true. You know, it's definitely not good for you uh, at all. It's, it, it destroys your brain. It, uh, you know, increases your risk for chronic diseases. It enhances chronic inflammation. It, all the benefits you get from resveratrol, anti you know, antioxidants in the wine is, is basically gone is lost by the toxic effect of the alcohol that you're drinking. So like 
yeah, you feel good, whatever. And I don't care if people have a glass of wine a couple of days a week, do what you want to. For me, it was, I finally got to that point where it was just like, I can't do this anymore. One glass would turn into two, two would turn into three. I'd drink the whole bottle. You know, one night a week would turn into two, two would turn into three. And so this was around the time that my son was born. Uh, we were in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And my wife was getting tired of me making excuses about drinking wine. And, and I finally got to that point where it's just like, what are you doing? You want to be as spiritually advanced as you possibly can be. You want to be mentally, emotionally, just, you know, top notch. You want to achieve your highest potential as a human being. You want to be healthy and you're still doing this shit, you know, thinking that wine is, is good for you. And so I finally made that final decision. This was in 2000. This was around 2015, I think, right around the time my son was born, 2015, 16 was the last time that I ever had a, a drop of wine. So that was the last alcohol I've ever had. Um, so it's been eight years, I think. So probably around eight years. Um, so you've got, you got a few more years on me, uh, which is- Yeah, it's like tough. a seven year shift, but it was, call it. It was it tough, man. It was tough. Ups and downs, ups and downs, ups and downs. So finally in that place in my mind, it was just like never again. And I tell you what, I am happier now being sober than, I ever was ever before and have no, no desire, thought, wish. I don't miss out on anything. I can go to parties. People drink. I can go to bars and clubs. People drink. I'll have a club soda. I will dance. I will have fun. I'll hang out. I'll have conversations. I'll go home at 11, go to sleep, wake up feeling great. They're going home at two drunk, waking up with hangovers. I don't miss that. Waking up feel drunk. Second. <laughs> And you don't remember most of the night. Most of what I did when I was partying was fun, but I don't remember most of it. That's how stupid it is. And then waking up, the, the, going back to the breathalyzer, some mornings I would wake up to go to work and I'd blow a point zero four, and it wouldn't start because I had the, you know, it, it had to be under a point oh three. That's how much the alcohol would stay in my system. And I realized what you went through in that eight years now, it's like little by little, it tries to, they call it an AA, they call the devil doing pushups on your shoulder. You know, it's like this voice that says, you can handle it. Come on, you know, just just drink a little wine. It's okay. Smoke another cigarette. Little voices within us. The old me versus the new me is what I call it. The ego versus the spirit. And I found out by me focusing on myself, the passion in the heart has to get to the mind of action. And I found in, in between these two areas, there's a mouthful of excuses. So <laughs> yeah. when you have this passion and it would say, yeah, don't drink, don't do that. Like 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. almost every morning, like you throwing up, sick, I'm never going to drink again. Why am I doing this? You know, and I would pray and I would do everything. And then I would literally throw up two, three, four times a week and go to work and then finally come back. And I had to just say, I'm done. But at then at 6 p.m., I was drinking again. <laughs> it was the insanity, right? That's the insanity. Part of the subconscious the too. Well, real quick is... on this book, let me uh, real quick uh, on the chapter. I have a chapter named after subconscious and conscious. So the conscious part of me was saying that you're okay. I guess like the ego, the ego was right. saying that you're all right. You can do this. You can handle it. And part of me said, no, I can't. I don't want to do that anymore. And this is how my life ended up in 2005. If you can see that, that was my father's car my stepfather's car right here and it was in two accidents in one night describe it for people describe it for people who are listening and not watching oh just listening i i had a um an addiction to poker as i mentioned in 2005 
I was gambling a lot still off and on, had lost my marriage, lost my house, gambled everything away, living with my parents in Petaluma, California. And I finally was just, I had a seizure at work again. I was having seizures a lot too. Started a new job with uh, Michael Gerber. You may have heard of him from Emith. I was working for the company Emith. That's the spiritual side that always drew me in. Like I worked for John Asraf. I worked for Michael Gerber. I worked for all these companies. I was just like, this is great. I'm working for Michael Gerber. I love Emith. So I go out and party, you know, you go out and make the money. I made my first check. I go out and played poker all night, miss sleep, miss medication, uh, was drunk the next morning, went to work, had a seizure at work, cracked my head open in another way, like got a cut in my head. It was just horrible. I go back. Uh, I go to the hospital that day. My stepfather picks me up. We're driving back to his house. I have another seizure in his car, two seizures in one day. I go back to the hospital for a while. Then I get checked out that night. I go back to their house and I felt like I was 16 years old, like like you back in the day. I didn't even care. I wanted to sneak out the window. But literally, I was 34 years old at the time. I was 34 and I had another beer with all that medication in me and I blacked out. I only had literally two beers that day, all day, like from the time that I, I got out of the hospital and I blacked out so bad. I snuck out their window. I got in his Mazda coupe, uh, whatever it was. I, I don't know what it was at the time. And I stole his car. I stole my stepfather's car and I'm driving down. I got to go to the casino. I got to get to the casino and gamble, man. I'm going to go have some fun. I got 20 bucks to my name, literally. And I go in there and I was all wasted. They wouldn't even let me in. I had never been, what do you call it? Like not, not able to get in, like to show up and I was just denied from, walk the, denied from the casino. Denied, your your money's no good here, there. sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I got 20 bucks. I want to make 40. <laughs> And I get in the car and I blacked out again, but I got on the 101 and I wake up getting on the 101 like at midnight. And I was able to find that that there was a, a path in there of uh, coming down the road. And I guess I lost it. I did a 180 and I slammed into the center median facing oncoming traffic. And then I'm facing traffic and I'm looking at I'm like I wake up and I kind of sober up real quick. I go, I got to get home. So I drove home with the back totaled, but I can still drive. I get to their place. What do I do? I have another beer and I black out again. I get in the same car. <laughs> An hour later, I wake up and I'm driving the car again. I'm going back to the casino. Talk about insanity. I was just like, I got to go to the casino. <laughs> I got a 2005. I don't know what I was thinking or I knew I was wasted. Okay. Beyond repair. I have a flip phone at the time. Remember those little flip phones oh, yeah. and I'm going to call somebody for some stupid reason. And I drop it and I look down and I look up and there's a center median and I went head on with the center median right there. Luckily in the city, probably 30 or 40 miles an hour, I don't remember, but that's where the book starts off is waking up in life beyond obliterated on the side of, well, I was stuck in the car for a while. I couldn't get the door open and I was just praying and just going, what did I do to my life? Uh, going back to the story, I guess it's like when I shifted and grew, I, I had to awaken, you know, awaken that voice, the spiritual awakening. Uh, the voice said, you got to stop. It was the same voice, right? The The heart is speaking you know, this is insanity. You've lost your marriage. You lost your homes. You lost your money, you know, and I've sobered up and got to where you were saying after that, after that night, it was horrible. I could have been arrested for a stolen vehicle, driving without a license, no insurance. You know, they, they figured out it was my stepdad's car and I didn't get in trouble. I just had a DUI 0 0.03. That's all it was. It was a very minor DUI, but I was on probation from my first DUI. So I did sober up for the next two years, off and on a little bit, but sober enough to be in that pink cloud again. What you were saying is just kind of like feeling better, doing better. But that voice is what my book is about. This is 80% of my book is about 
listening to that voice within, speaking softly of change. It's the voice of your soul. It's quiet at first. It's the voice of reason, the voice of sanity, the voice of forgiveness, the voice that says, don't blame yourself anymore. Forgive yourself. Turn the FUs to thank yous. And I was so hard on myself because I destroyed a wonderful marriage since high school, you know, a relationship, 15-year relationship since high school, marriage, everything. So you want to almost, I don't say I was ever suicidal, like killing myself, but what is this? That's killing yourself. That's what you were on. That's what I was on. Without knowing it, I was killing myself. And so connecting back, I just finally sobered up. The pink cloud was there. Insanity came back. You know, I couldn't fight off the insanity. Just have one beer. You know, after a year and a half of sobriety, I had one beer. And then three months later, I ended up with my third DUI at that time. Every time I sobered up, I got better. I felt good. And then, you know, we lose control, right? Yeah, that's it. I mean, the reality is there are plenty of people who can have a drink once in a while and have no problem. They can drink yeah. a glass of wine on the weekend or once every couple months or have a beer to unwind once a week. You know, I'm not saying every night because every night is definitely a pattern of addiction, but once a month, a couple drinks a month and have no problem, have no, you know, they don't have that physiological need to have more. And then there are other people yeah. who can never have one drink because one drink is never enough. That's how I always was. That's how my dad's always been. That's how my grandpa always was, runs in the family. Now, can you overcome that? You know, there's a book about the physiology, I forget what it's called, of, of addiction and literally how some people's brains are wired differently. That's why they call it a disease. That one drink, you cannot stop. It literally turns into two and three and four and five. And this is full-blown yeah. addicts, right? I, you know, could you go from a full-blown addict to where you can, you know, you can have one drink and, and then stop and have no problem with that? Go from being fully blown addicted to somebody who can drink once in a while and have no issues. I don't know. I really don't know, but I'm not interested in finding out. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, you know, I, I've had that voice come on, the one you're talking about that's like, Oh yeah. Now where I'm at in my life, you know, more spiritually evolved, let's say I've done a lot of trauma healing work, a lot of self discovery, a lot of medit I mean, literally hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of hours of meditation, deep spiritual work, you know, a lot of emotional therapeutic work, a lot of deep healing work, like healing all these childhood adverse events and emotional traumas. Right. And I still, have more to work on myself and will for the rest of my life. And no way am I perfect or, you know, spiritually advanced or whatever. I don't see myself like that at all. But I've gotten to a point where I feel like, you know, I, I don't even ever think about having a drink, even when I'm out there at a nightclub while, where everyone's drinking. It's so easy. I don't even, it's not even something that I would ever think about having. So that little voice comes up and goes, oh, yeah, you can have a drink and you'd be fine, right? Yeah. But the, I'd say that the higher voice, the, the, the more intelligent voice says, yeah, but why would you? Why would you? What benefit would you get from that? How would that be better than how you are right now, which how you are right now is significantly better than any ever time you ever drank once in your life, right? So that's my voice exactly. is talking. So it's like, why would you even try? And there's still the possibility 
then I'd have one drink and then it'd go to two and three and four and five. Right. So it's like, yeah. once you accept that and go, Hey man, I can never have another drink again. Just not, I can't, I won't. There's no way reason for it whatsoever. For me, my life has been significantly better. It's not without challenges, but I can handle those challenges much better, right? I can deal with life so much better. Life is more fun. I'm healthier. I'm happier. I have more energy. I feel better. I'm a better father. I'm a better husband, right? So why would I ever want to have a drink? And so I'm not, you know, I don't want to take away from people who are like, yeah, I can have a beer or a glass of wine once or twice a month and never have a desire to have more. And I'm like, cool. That's awesome for you. And that's great. But there are, there are, millions of people who cannot do that they have one drink and it's all downhill from there and some people don't understand that when they're able to do something they're looking at themselves going well i can handle it why can't you right, <laughs> it's called right. narcissism sometimes and it's kind of like a view of i'm going to do it this way and a benefit too was aa and meetings like that i went to alcoholics anonymous i went to meetings after about three or four years though i felt that spiritual awakening and i could not live in the past so it was how I was living, who I was surrounding myself with. It was all drinkers. I thought everyone drank. And remember how you'd see that a person that didn't drink or I'd go on a date and, and the lady would say, no, I don't need a drink. And I'm like, what's wrong with her? You know, <laughs> you look at people like it's so weird. And then it shifted five years later when I was sober and dating for the first time. I had that question come up. It's like, what's wrong? What happened? You know, and I didn't mention DUIs on the first date, but <laughs> jail, I would just say, no, I just, I'm healthier now. You know, I focus on my health and I could use the excuse too. I used to have epilepsy. I had brain surgery. That's a good reason not to drink. You know, <laughs> yeah. I want to stay healthy. So you could just say different things. But to me, my old you tried to pull me back for so long. The meetings helped, but I noticed the meetings for me personally, I'm not knocking it. A is great, but I would say I'm an alcoholic. I'm an alcoholic and I would live in that state. I couldn't live there anymore. And not to say that, oh, I'm going to go drink. I'm powerful. No, I would never drink. And I would, I would, like you said, I go to the bars. I have a double club soda on the rocks, I call it, you know, and I just, I have uh, my drink is club soda or, or something else. And I'm there an hour and all the other friends are pretty drunk by an hour. So if I, I, I take off, right. I just enjoy being around them, but I do not enjoy losing control. And I didn't understand that when I was drunk, when I'd hear people say, I need to be in control. Or I need to know what's going on. When I get drunk, I lose control and I lose my memory. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, with epilepsy and 20 years of medication, you know, there should be not an ounce of alcohol. And I drank in kombucha. And I didn't know I didn't. I drank that for years. I didn't know it had fermented alcohol, 0.05. It didn't really matter because I didn't drink that much. I still drink it to this day. But I guess if I drank three or four or five real quick, I'd have a little buzz. But kombucha is great. You know, I found out supplements, healthy supplements that if I wanted to drink, I would just drink those, you know. Yeah, I, I, you just reminded me of, um, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, God's looking out for you, right? Your angels are looking out for yeah. you, especially when you're reaching out and saying, hey, you know, show me the way, help me. I need out of this. I need to change my life. I need to, whatever, finances, relationship, alcoholism, doesn't matter, but asking for help. So going back to when I moved to San Diego, right? So 18 years old, story, we're in Oceanside, blah, blah, blah. I get hired uh, for a job that uh, was a sales job, the, the, the cell phone sales job. And uh, somehow, miraculously, I got hired. That's a whole crazy story how all that happened. My, like, I'm going down for the second interview. I'd never tied a tie in my life. I had to learn how to tie a tie 
in my car <laughs> mirror before my interview with my dad on the phone, literally. I got, I borrowed some money from my friend's uncle so I could get, you know, one nice uh, set of clothes because you had to wear like a tie and suit and all kinds of stuff. And I picked everything white, white pants, white shirt, white tie. Here I am, not even knowing how to tie a tie. I'm a white boy. <laughs> right? And that was my one set of clothing I had until I got my first paycheck. So I wore that every single day. These guys were my manager and the top salesperson, like the assistant manager. They're sitting there making bets right in front of me saying, I bet he lasts a week. I'll bet you $100 he lasts a week. And he's like, nah, I bet you 200 <laughs> he lasts. I bet you 200 he lasts two weeks. And I'm sitting right there. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I'll show you guys. And then six months later, I'm both those guys' boss, which was pretty cool. Yeah, but, amazing. Um, so somehow I passed a second interview, right? And um, so I get the job. And it's commission only. I got to wait to, you know, I got to make sales actually make money. I got to wait. I don't know. It was for whatever reason, like three weeks or four weeks before I actually got my first paycheck. So boom, you know, we're staying in it. We got, we got a bed in a garage. Um, we're off the street. I got a job, you know, I I'm sober for a month for the first time in my life. You know, we're changing our lives. We're doing good. You know, I'm making sales. I get my first paycheck. So my friend and I go out to celebrate, right? We have one beer. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, let's just have a beer. Let's have a beer. We'll watch a movie. I had a little DVD player that I put in the car. <laughs> so in the parking lot, we literally had a beer, watched, um, uh, oh, what was that movie? Um, uh, the Hercules, was it the, the Hercules movie? What was that called? With um, oh The 300 God. movie? Maybe, maybe it was actually called Hercules, but I think it might have been Hercules. Anyway, we watched the movie, had a beer, waited for like a half hour, and then drove back to the garage where we were sleeping. And on a futon, my buddy and I had to share a futon in this Mexican family's garage. They didn't speak English. We didn't speak Spanish. They let us live in there for like a month <laughs> next to the washer and dryer. It was pretty epic, actually. Yeah. And we're driving back, and I, so I was still smoking cigarettes at that time. I throw a cigarette out the window. A cop on a bike saw me, pulled me over right there, and I'm like, oh, shit, right? Here we are in San Diego, you know, just getting started, you know, just had a beer, breathalyzer. DUI impound my car and we didn't have the money to get it out of impound. So now I've got no car DUI, uh, where we're staying is like so many miles away from my job. So I had to take the bus. Uh, I had to get up super early, get on the bus. The bus took forever to get there, like an hour, hour and a half to get all the way to where I needed to go. And because I, I think I had to take multiple routes or something because we were like really far away from the mall in Oceanside. And then I get there and then the bus wouldn't leave uh, at night. Like I get off work too late and I couldn't, that bus didn't run. So sometimes I'd have to sleep in the store. They didn't know, take a shower in, take you know, wash my hair and face and stuff in the sink, in the bathroom. And then I'd be there when the guys showed up in the morning, They're like, why are you here so early? <laughs> I'm like, oh, I just got here early, you know, the bus. I live here. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't tell him I was like taking showers and stuff and sleeping in the back and because like the bus <laughs> couldn't run. But even though that happened, right, you would think, okay, wallet stolen, car broken into, no driver's license, no social security card. I needed all that for my first day of training for the job. Um, then, 
you know, somehow I, I just, what I call solution oriented mindset. I was just like, I got to figure this out. Called the DMV, went there, got a paper temporary ID, like the morning of drove down, you know, got the interview somehow miraculously got the job, you know, then one drink, right? Cause here I am committed to being sober, changing my life, been there a month, one drink, boom, car's gone. Now you're taking the bus. Now you're, you know, it's like, I call it the hammer of life. When you commit to doing something good or doing something right, and you go back on that commitment, it's like that hammer of life goes, boom, sucker. You want to mess around? God comes in and goes, boom, you said you're doing this, (laughs) but no, we're going to show you what happens when you go back on your word. You know, so, and that's what I tell people. It's like when you, and so that was one thing, you know, thankful a thousand to the thousand, like your book, it's like, that was one thing I actually looked back and was very thankful for and said, look, I needed this. I needed this to kick me in the ass, to get me serious, to show me, look, one drink can screw everything up. Now I've got to, you know, work harder, wake up earlier, take buses, sleep, you know, in the freaking store, shower in the bathroom, you know, that kind of thing. So I was just like, all right, no drinking. So then I didn't drink for six or seven months at that point at all. So it was a good chunk of time, but, um, you know, before I started drinking again and then Bad shit started happening again. The hammer of life hits, right? God says, look, you said you're sober. You said you're doing good. You said you're helping others and you're screwing yourself over again. Boom, hammer of life, right? And then when you get on the right path, it's like doors open. Doors miraculously open. You get opportunities. You get callings. You get relationships. You get things that just start showing up. But the key is you have to say yes, right? You have to go, you know what? That opportunity sounds right for me. I'm going to go check it out no matter how scary, difficult it is. I don't have experience in real estate. I don't have a license. I don't know anything about it. I'm going to go work for this real estate agent because that feels right. You have to say yes to that opportunity that comes in front of you. Right? Yeah. Your gut gut instinct and your spirit says, let's do this. Let's let's move forward. Let's, uh, and it feels good. And then your, the ego versus spirit is what I talk about. And the ego says, no, I need to do this. I need to make money. I need to show bling bling and whatever else. And that's all it focuses on. And the spirit says, no, this is what you should be doing. So it goes back and forth, forth and back, right? It's yeah. like, a, a, to me, it was sobriety was good. It was great. And then I would just drink for some reason every time. Going back to your original question, how many times I lost count. I went to rehab to try to save my marriage, 28-day rehab. I stopped for a year. Marriage wasn't saved, so I started drinking. You know, I sober up for a, a brain surgery, you know, after a year and a half, start drinking again because I thought, well, I'm normal. And another DUI, you know, <laughs> sober up for six months. I go to an AA meeting one time and I had a six month token and I couldn't believe all these guys in Kearney Mesa here. They they looked at me like, wow, six months. Wow. That was like amazing uh, sobriety for six months. I looked at them like I thought this was nothing. And then every time I got better, I got worse because it was that pull. What you said, that drawback to say this is, I can handle it now, or, you know, whatever we thought and your story too, cutting back, going forward, cutting back. This quote that I said earlier is what I came up with on cell phone holders. Now it says, turn the F used to thank yous. And I had an artist draw that for me and being able to turn it around in life and focus on life. And in this book, I swear, I didn't plan this, but people can just pick up this book and read it anywhere. And I'll just randomly open up a page and it says, here I found appreciation through acceptance. Here I had to accept who I had become in life in order to end who I was in life, all in order to grow into who I wanted to be in life. By taking this step, I then found that for me and all of us, 
Blame is a thoughtless compilation of excuses fueled by an egoic attitude of which points fingers at others for where you ended up in life and how you feel it's everyone else's fault in life. Right. So that random quotes like that, it's part of a story, but it's part of a hopefully an inspiration for others to see like you and I have overcome this. Or maybe the 1% of 1%, they say that I feel with the spiritual awakening, the 12th step in jail for me, the 12th step happened. You know, I did 11 steps all the time, but the spiritual awakening in AA was, I had a spiritual awakening, the 12th step. I'm like, what's that? You know, I'd go pray to the porcelain God for years and <laughs> I'm like, I don't feel like a spiritual awakening, but so much insanity in both of our lives and then seeing friends die too, right? Friends that used to be with, friends that yeah. I used to party with, I continue to drink. Yeah. I saw two men close to me drinking buddies. I see men because they were older in their 60s that died horrifically of uh what's it called your kidney you turn yellow jaundice yep. you know and yeah, i was just basically renal straight, renal failure you know organs just start shutting down it happened to my grandpa on my dad's side i mean he drank himself to death literally you know fried fried chicken alcohol cigarettes every day of his life late 70s and it's like just the last problem with that is People go, oh, yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy it. So what's wrong with that? Yeah, but the suffering yeah. that you go through in the last months or even last years of your life, when you see somebody go through that much suffering, it's like, let's say you had 60 years or 70 years of fun. Let's call it fun. Even though we know alcohol, there's a lot of shit that's not fun, <laughs> right? Yeah. Alcohol and drugs, there's a lot of shit that is not fun. <laughs> Some of it's fun. There's a lot that's Ego definitely not fun. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, waking up, you know, throwing up till three in the morning is not fun. Right. Getting, you know, almost killing yeah. somebody and getting in car wrecks and all that stuff. That is not fun. Anyway, even let's say you had fun your whole life drinking and partying and stuff. Those last two years or even two months feel like decades. If you ask somebody going through that much pain and suffering, that much mental, emotional and physical pain and suffering, it's not worth 60 or 70 years of fun. It's just not. No. You see somebody suffer that much. It's so awful, you know, and it's uh, and it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and you and I being here and connecting re back again. And by the way, my goal in racquetball and to connect with you again, I'm going to play in every state I can play. So I played in te uh, Texas now and Colorado with you, um, and I'm going to start traveling. I want to go back to Florida again. I want to start living life. I'm not again. I've never been to Florida, but start getting out there to racquetball tournaments and also traveling at the same time. And going out to live life, to explore and to say, you know, I could have been doing this in my 20s or 30s, but I lived a good life. I'm thankful for the life I had. I'm thankful for the life I have. And I'm creating the new life that I'm going to live every day, day in and day out. So yeah, just dude, have you're like, you're like only cool. you're only like halfway there, man. You're like <laughs> first half of your life. You're just entering the second half of life now. You know, I'm still in the first I'm still in the first half of life. I'm not even to the second half yet. I'm excited for what's to come because you know, what I've done, what I've accomplished in the last 17 years of my life is it feels like a hundred years, like I've lived a hundred years, right? Like I've lived yeah. three or four different lifetimes at least. And I'm so excited for the next 20 years and the next 20 years after that. It's like what you can do in five years or 10 years in your life when you're focused on something good, when you're focused on personal development, when you're focused on improving your mental health, when you're focused on you know, going to the gym, working out, taking care of your physical health, cleansing, detoxing, improving your diet, you know, focusing on your spiritual health, you know, whether it's raising a family or just building a strong community, finding something that gives you passion and purpose in your life, being of service to others. 
what you can achieve and experience and learn and grow in, in like a 10 year period is mind blowing, right? What I've done in the last 10 years is so mind blowing for me. Um, I look back at all the photos and videos and stuff that we have logged on my phone and my computer. And I'm like, dude, that's like three lifetimes in 10 years. Literally, like I'm so excited for the next 10 years, the next 10, the next 10. But I was never like that when I was drinking. I was never like that when I was partying. I was never thinking like, oh, I'm excited for 10 years. Are you kidding me? Like I was barely looking at the next day. You know what I mean? Drink by drink, day by day. And in the book, it's called The Seven-Year Shift. And I feel like you said 18. Here's the irony of this. At 18, 25, 32, 39, 46, 53, these time points in my life, I realize every five to seven years doesn't need to be exact. But you're a a spot-on story. At 18, something happened. You shifted. Maybe at 24, 25, something shifted. 32, you're just like, I got to change, man. (laughs) Or whatever the time period. But it's, it's like another lifetime happens. And if you don't change, you're still in that bubble of your old life. Yeah. And then you go through three lifetimes as a drunk and homeless, or you change and you go, wow, look at me, you know, two lifetimes ago, three lifetimes ago. You're like uh, amazed. It's not even you. That's why I see people in their 60s that are giving up. And I'm like, dude, you could have 10, 15, 20, 30 years maybe of like more life, what you can achieve and experience and enjoy in 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years is remarkable if you're focused on doing good things, right? If you're, for me, meditation, meditation has been instrumental in any kind of meditative practice, all kinds of ancient healing and meditative practices has been instrumental in helping me improve and, and transform my life. And let's say spiritually awakened, yeah. right? Meditation has been essential and being open to different kinds of meditations and different kinds of spiritual practices. Chanting with the Hare Krishnas in San Diego is incredible meditation. You know, meditating with Zen Buddhist master monks, uh, doing sweat lodges and and temascals and um, uh, dancing with Native Americans, you know, sun dancing uh, in Mexico uh, and in San Diego and in Albuquerque, New Mexico and all over the place, these, these native indigenous beautiful spiritual practices that are incredibly, you know, awakening, spiritually awakening, just doing Qigong every morning, Qigong and meditation and prayer, you know, prayer is so powerful. But when I look at prayer, it's not like, God, please give me this as a lot of people do. It's it's, actually, I look at prayer as, as being grateful for what I already have and for what God is providing, right? Like if you step into that gratitude in prayer, I think it is significantly more powerful than like, just please give me this. Personally, I really believe that and I've seen it. But where you make deep transformation in your addictions, in your emotional health, in healing childhood traumas, healing adverse events, which we know this is essential for helping the body to fight off chronic diseases and to live life more fully, healthier, happier. Meditation has been essential for that because you get quiet, and then you can get in and start asking these questions and start resolving these traumas. Um, but also somatic therapy is amazing. EMDR is amazing. You know, there's so many therapeutic tools that, um, that I've you know, learned and practices and, and implemented over the years that have been instrumental for my life to help me be better, right? And to help overcome yeah the angers and the resentments and the fears and the guilts and all of that stuff that comes with all the baggage of life. 
And if you're still holding on to all that baggage, you're just going to keep dragging around with you everywhere you go, attracting the same shit into your life. And until you and get rid of that baggage, our, drop our it system. off, you won't be able to grow to the next yeah. level. In our society, too, ironically, in my years, I was a pharmaceutical rep, too. In 2002, I was selling the drugs. I was promoting the, the lifestyle, that, the money. Yeah. Yeah, remember? And so everything that I sold, I ended up on later, like in a, in a, in a weird way, not the exact medication, but, you know, depression, antidepressants, uh, acid reflux medication, blood thinners. I had problems with it. And what we are here now in health and nutrition, I solved them all by changing my lifestyle, by getting rid of alcohol, of course, but by eating healthy, by, you know, the acid reflux was caused by what I was eating. The blood issues and, you know, blood thinners I needed were caused by my lifestyle, drinking, you know, and even in lockdown here, I, I went from working out 20, 25 hours a week to like one hour a week and I gained all this weight. And then when they started to open up again, I went to the doctor and he said, oh, we got to get you on some blood thinners because you got a high blood pressure. And I said, I'm going to come back in three months. And we're going to check in again. <laughs> I got back in the gym and it went and it went back down. I go, I don't need to be on that medication. I mean, it's nothing about the meds. You know, you're a big part of this, but we need them when we need them. We don't need to live on them. So what I sold and the money I made, I learned later, this is not the lifestyle I need to leave, lead. It's it's something about changing my my parameters and my understanding. When epilepsy came back in 2009, 10, 11, I started meditating before sobriety. Wayne Dyer introduced me to meditation. I saw him three times before he passed. Luis Hay, John Asraf, all these people were like, meditate, meditate. Okay, so you, you know, you started doing it. And all my seizure epilepsy problems went away in 2011. And 12, I was able to control them. And then I sobered up. And within about three or four years, holistically, the epilepsy is gone. The last seizure I had was 2011. Wow. And there was no medication. Meditation over medication. I'm going to get that shirt again. But I got it at a farmer's market one time. It said meditation over medication. I love that shirt. And I'm an acronym guy. So it said mom. You know? Oh, hey, I just lost your uh, audio for some reason. Oh, sorry. Had a call coming in. That's probably the universe saying it's time to go almost. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But yeah, uh, anyways, overcoming obstacles in life, that's why we're here. And I really appreciate the opportunity to, to reconnect with you, Nathan, and uh, calling you Nate still to this day. I'm Stefan now. Also, <laughs> became the new from Stefan to Stefan. People call, started calling me Stefan. So, you know, we're here to grow. And, you know, I really appreciate this opportunity coming on board. So you... uh have not had a seizure since 2011. Right. So are there biomarkers that are tested or scans or anything that test specifically for epilepsy to know like a diagnosis of epilepsy? Is, is epilepsy diagnosed based on symptoms or is there actually biomarkers and different tests and things that doctors can do to say, oh, you know, you have epilepsy? Well, that's very ironic. And to the people listening and watching, Nate didn't know about this, but you're asking the ideal question of what happened to me two years ago now in lockdown. And I work in assisted living, right? I have to be around seniors and communities and we needed to get the vaccine. And I, I'm not a vaccine fan. So I just said, you know, I've already had epilepsy seizures. I don't want to get it. I, I choose not to. And the even the uh, different people that I work with didn't want to get it. So we had to get an exemption, right? And I went to different doctors in different places. These, these doctors in 2021 were like, oh, we can't do that. We can't do that. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, they said, well, go to a specialist. And I had to go to a specialist. I thought, neurology. Okay, I'll go to a neurologist and just tell him or her that I don't have epilepsy anymore. Um, I'm seizure-free. 
And so I sat down with this neurologist in Poway, whom I'd give you my book to, by the way, <laughs> coming up here. And he heard my whole story. He's a young guy. He's probably in his early 40s. Nice guy, but he just was like typing away the whole time. I'm like, yeah, I holistically cured it. I changed my diet. I stopped drinking. I got better. Control, delete. Blah, 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 blah. So he's just like, well, that's interesting. I said, so I don't want to get the vaccine. You know, can I have an exemption? And he goes, well, let's do an EEG on you. Um, I'm concerned about it may come back. And I said, what does that have to do with the exemption? <laughs> what does that have to do with the vaccine? Uh, and he said, well, we should just get that done anyways. You know, okay. So I kind of meditated on it, prayed. And I said, I think I'll do that. You know, I just felt like it was a calling to do. He scheduled it for January 13th of last year of 2022. Ironically, it was meant to be because that was my birthday. And I said, well, this is meant to be. So I go here in Escondido and I take the EG and I meditate the whole time. And they got all these probes hooked up on your head. You know how that is. You've probably seen it. And I meditated. So two weeks later, he calls me back and he says, you have a dormant tissue. That, that is going to be the name of a chapter coming up. I'm calling dormant tissue in life. <laughs> he said, you have a dormant tissue. Uh, you had brain surgery and it could come back. You should be on medication. And I said, no, I don't want to be. This is over the phone, by the way. And I said, I'm not going to be on medication. I just want an exemption so I don't have to get the vaccine. He goes, no, I have to contact the DMV. They suspended my license, dude. Whoa. For, uh, yeah, he suspended my driver's license for, for epileptic, you know, possible epileptic seizures. So going back, it could be a whole other call here we could have, but holistically curing it, but still seeing it in the EEG was the dormant tissue. And I don't know what you know, that probably is, but then I asked another doctor immediately. I had to go to a private practice doctor, a friend of mine. And he said, that's a bunch of BS. He should have referred you to someone else to get another test or do something. He shouldn't just contact the DMV. And I immediately got a DMV court hearing. It was over the phone at that time. The guy was the same way. The court guy was like, why did he suspend your license? Okay. And they put it back in the system. Mm. I was fine. And that doctor said the dormant tissue could cause a problem. But he goes, if you went in there without epilepsy, he wouldn't have said a thing. Because those scans are coming back like, you know, like this. But... It's called CYA, cover your ass. <laughs> That's what I found out. His doctor part, he just said, oh, in case he has a seizure, I have to tell him to get on medication because he found something. I can't say it was right or wrong, but I think it was meant to be because I drove again, ironically, for a month on a suspended license last year because <laughs> I was trying to get to work. I was I was waking up with that same fear, that same anxiety going, oh, shit, no, no insurance. But this time you're sober, right? And when you're sober, sober. and you're doing the right things, like, you know, it's like you also get a little, I feel in my own life, I've seen it. It's like you get a little extra protection. You know, you're not trying to break yeah. the law. You're not trying to do something bad. You're not, it's like, you're going to work, you're staying sober, you're staying healthy. You're, it's like you get a little extra protection for those things is what I found out. Yeah, and when I was driving, when it used to be in the DUI days, I had my, literally in my passenger seat, I had an AA book, I had my court card. In case I got pulled over, I was gonna be like, officer, look it, you know, I'm going to meetings. <laughs> I, guess what I had I'm now, I had all this meetings. medical work next to me. Oh yeah, I'm going, I was drunk, I was like, you know, but this time I had my medical paperwork next to me and I was going to the DMV process of getting it reinstated. And it took six months in the long run. It was like, I got it back for a little while and then I lost it. And then I got it back again in the long run. And it was horrible. It was the stress that reminded me though, be thankful for this. You're gonna talk about this on interviews. You're gonna let the people know that the system is not all correct. You know, I, I want people to get medical help when they need it. But for me, it was no longer needed. And the system does not like to hear that. That's what exactly what you talked about too. If I'm saying like nutrition, health, and wellness, sometimes they want you to take these 
prescriptions and I want to prescribe my own way, you know, and if it doesn't work, I'm here to take what I need to, but right now I'm cured, you know, 20, 12 years of epilepsy free and everything. Well, that's huge. I mean, that's, that alone is massive, right? You go 12 years without a single seizure. It's, yeah. it's like, look, you're obviously doing the right stuff. You're obviously, you know, taking care of yourself. You're making sure that you're not having seizures. You're uh, not having symptoms and you feel amazing. You look amazing. So it's, Thanks. that's crazy that they would send that to the DMV and, and have your license removed. Even if you told them like, Hey, I haven't had, I haven't had at that point, maybe you haven't had seizures in 10 years, 10, 11 years. And then they suspend your license. Like I would say him as a neurologist, it's nothing against him, but he is very young and couldn't believe this and couldn't perceive it. And he just had to do what he had to do. Uh, but to do that to somebody is not right. I think it was just really, he wasn't mean, but he was just very like, that's not right. You have to do it this way. We got to get you back on medication. It was the push and pull method. And I was not going to be pulled back into, oh, in order to get my license, I have to get on Tegretol, Topamax, Depakote. Ironically, Nate, and all these, and what I work in in assisted living with Alzheimer's and dementia, all the same medications I took over the year, Tegretol, Topamax, Depakote, uh, Keppra, they're all used for Alzheimer's and dementia. I'm seeing these prescriptions going, Lamictal, I used to be on that. I used to be on that. I used to be. And so somehow it's connected to help people in the way you're helping people. That's why I wanted to reunite with you. And I see all your work you do and the health and wellness and working against cancer, working against, I'd say, Alzheimer's, dementia, things that we're eating and drinking. You know, that doctor to me was a fuel for me to say, F you to thank you. <laughs> I need to get off my butt and start doing more. I finished my book then, you know, I published it and got it on Audible now. And I'm just like, I need to grow. Go now and grow now, I call it. That's a mindset shift, right? Of something challenging, something shitty, something bad has happened. And I like that. The F you, thank you. Like you could be like, oh, it's their fault. It's their problem. I That person screwed up my life. They ruined it. Now they suspended yeah. my license, blah, 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 blah. Or you can say, <laughs> right, what's what's the lesson in this? What's the gift in this? What do I need to learn from this? How can this help me grow? How can this help me improve? And it's literally shifting yeah. that mindset and asking those questions that changes everything, right? It changes everything. It changes your trajectory. It changes your, your thinking about finding different solutions. It changes uh, the actions that you take. It changes everything for the better to stop blaming and stop judging and just, just accept it, right? Accept what happened. Okay, okay, that happened. I can't change it. Now, what can I do about it? What can I improve? What can I change in myself? What do I need to learn from this? And that's true for any diagnosis. It's true for any disease. It's true for any challenge in life, financial or otherwise. You go, all right, this sucks. Shitty. I don't like it, but I accept it. And now I'm going to change it. I don't want it anymore. You also have to go, I don't want this anymore. I want something better. Yeah. What do I want? Oh, this is what I want. Okay. How do I get that? How do I achieve that? How do I make that happen? Start asking questions, start doing research, get a mentor, read some books, right? Get some advice and guidance, and then you can make that happen, whether it's, you know, financial freedom, it's health, overcoming a disease, it's, you know, in your case, basically healing epilepsy. The thing why he probably said, um, 
well, number one, didn't believe you. And number two, you know, referred that to the DMV and stuff is because in Western medical literature, just like Parkinson's, they say there's no cure for epilepsy. Just like they yeah. say there's no cure for Parkinson's. And so if you come in and say, oh, I cured my epilepsy, they're going to think you're a, a, they can, a nut, a nut job. You? You know? They're going to think you're a nut job. Um, yeah. Because I did a documentary. Uh, it's free. It's on YouTube. It's a mini documentary. I encourage people to go watch it. It's about Bianca Mole, M-O-L-L-E. It's a really inspiring document, a really inspiring story. And she was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And she had the tremors real bad. And she discovered an ancient healing modality. And this ancient healing modality comes from the ancient East. And it focuses on mental, emotional, spiritual healing. It focuses on energy healing. It incorporates sound healing, meditation, visualization, subtle movement. And basically what I think it's doing is it's rewiring the brain and the entire nervous system by practicing. And she discovered it and started feeling amazing uh, very quickly. And so she got really committed and started practicing up to three hours a day. And literally within a few months, her tremors were gone. And shortly after she went in to see her doctor and there were no more signs of Parkinson's and she got off all her medication. And yeah, this has that. been years now, years, Parkinson's free, symptoms free, symptom free. And all she did, and I say all she did, because it's a lot, is she started practicing Qigong and a specific form called Wisdom Healing Qigong from this incredible teacher who's become a good friend of mine out of Santa Fe, New Mexico. His name is Ming Tong Gu, and the practice is called Wisdom Healing Qigong. And she committed to it, man. She committed multiple hours a day doing it at home, and boom, so fast, Parkinson's gone. And they say there's no cure. That can't happen. It's a mistake, whatever. And yet here's this woman who did yeah. it, who experienced it, who reversed it, and she's still living without it years later, you know? So it's, it's amazing what's possible with the brain and with the body. Wim Hof, you know, I, I, I like to watch his videos, the Iceman, yeah. and he's just doing everything holistically. He's curing himself. He's doing, when people can do that, like we all can, I think in one way or another, but there's always people that say, you know, look at what happened. You failed. They always look for the failure. Because if you go back, but we have to be strong and keep believing in ourselves and what we do and, you know, believe in order to receive, right? Yeah, believing's hard, though. I mean, right? We talk about having faith. I think it starts with hope. I think you got to have a sense of hope first, but you can't stay yeah. stuck in hope because hope will only take you so far. Hope will give you a little bit of glimmer of light beyond the darkness, and we need that hope. There's no such thing as false hope. Anybody says, oh, don't give... The stage four cancer patient false hope bullshit that's exactly what they need they need real hope there's no such thing as false hope yeah you got to have hope that something better is possible if you're an addict you got to have hope that you can overcome that addiction you know if you're dealing with drugs or alcohol or you're very sick or have epilepsy or parkinson's or cancer you have to have a sense of hope that something better is possible but then number two you got to educate yourself right this is what i found is you have to learn from the people who've already done what you're trying to achieve, whether it's financial success, it's health, it's overcoming a disease, whatever it is, 
you know, it's being a, a professional athlete. It doesn't matter. But first the hope, then you start to look into the strategy, the, the solutions. Okay, how did they get there? How did they do that? What did they do? What steps did they take? What commitments? What dedication? What strategies? And then you got to have, you know, the discipline and the dedication, the commitment to actually get yourself to do those things and stick to it every single day. But even beyond that, what I find for me is like, whatever your goal is, like if that goal is so strong and it's so big, you know, and it, it's so big that it can pull you forward and it has deep meaning to you, the deeper your, the bigger your goal and the more meaning you can apply to it, the easier it is to stick to the hard discipline and commitment it takes to achieve whatever it is you're trying to achieve. Right. Because, you know, getting sober and staying sober is not easy. Right. Uh, healing epilepsy is not easy. Healing cancer is not easy. You know, uh, overcoming financial failure is not easy. Uh, but, you know, taking care of your health in this modern world is not easy. But also being yeah. sick and addicted to drugs and alcohol and smoking and all that, that's not easy either. You know, that's actually really, really hard, uh, really yeah. challenging to do. So pick your hard and then stick to it, but have a profound goal and deep meaning and reminder of that goal every day that can help pull you through those challenging times. I had to turn the crap in life into the fertilizer of life. I found out like crap can be fertilizer and help you grow the new plants. And I would always do these acronyms. And then when I sobered up, there more acronyms came to my mind, conceive, receive, achieve, perceive crap. So the crap in my life, I had to conceive a new way out. I had to receive things, positive and negative. I had to, in order to achieve them all by perceiving them. So the crap became better in my life. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Turn the, yeah, turn, the, turn the analogy, I just had to look at things a little bit differently. Yeah, exactly. And water it daily with positive attitude and growth. It's all in the book. So it's on thankyou1000.com. Working on the website now. It's coming together and it's on YouTube. So uh, I appreciate the, I got some people texting me now. I do assisted living. So I'm working with dementia and Alzheimer's and helping people with their memory, ironically. I actually want to Pretty invest awesome. and soon start a traumatic brain injury one where, because there's a high level of need for elderly care in TBIs, traumatic brain injury. And I had it all. I, I, I've had the experience of having seizures. The one thing I have in my life, I had to show this, Nate, was I, I had a um, part of my life that came to an end in 2019 when I was burglarized. And um, they broke into my house in Valley Center here and they stole 95% of everything I had. Jeez. But the one thing, for some reason, I kept this in my life was my old school football helmet. It was still in the garage. They didn't want to steal this. And that's where I had a football injury in 88. And now I go around to, from Orange Glen here in Escondido. And I, I speak to the kids about this, about my traumatic brain injury, about things that happened to me with seizures and epilepsy and then alcohol. My life after lockdown, I call it the life after lockdown, because I had a 14 year lockdown from alcohol, from epilepsy, from seizures, from brain surgery. Don't ever give up in that area. And I had one simple reminder. I didn't need all the financial stuff that that burglar stole. You know, I just was like, okay, that was my past. It's gone. I had to accept it. I was angry, of course, but I got over it. And then to be able to just conceive, receive, achieve, perceive a better way of viewing things. So when something is taken from you, be thankful. Something's given to you, of course, be thankful and just grow from there one day at a time. Awesome, dude. Yeah, it's great catching up. 
And uh, thank you, 1000.com. Is that where people can get the book, you said? Yeah, thank you, 1000.com. That's where all the information will go. And being able to uh, be thankful be thankful in life and just understand that on this book is Lake Hodges and where I used to meditate and just kind of found my grounding and healing and understanding that we have to be able to overcome obstacles mentally and emotionally, not just physically by, by sobering up, but being able to achieve success in life by saying that I'm done being done. You've heard that before. We've all heard that. And being able to work subconsciously. A lot of the book is talked, you know, many pages of this. I even cut this down to a abridged version. <laughs> I had so many pages I was writing and writing and writing, but I want people to see that there is a way out. There is hope in life and everything from losing your money, losing your life. Um, we have to be able to meditate in those Sometimes people would take pictures of me over the years. The meditation pictures are in the book, you know, and, and being able to be thankful in life. Even if I ended up living out of my office for six months right there, I was still thankful. Um, trying to start my business in 2017, made some bad financial decisions, stayed sober, but lost everything again. <laughs> you know, I went through all this shift, the holy shift. And I said, okay, enough's enough. And people like you inspire me, Nate. So I appreciate all the work you're doing to help others. and. You know, the nutrition helps you give me and the tips. I get your emails all the time. So I just click for growth. See? <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome, dude. Well, Stefan, my friend, it was great catching up, man. Uh, love to see you doing so awesome. And uh, appreciate you coming on the podcast, man. We'll stay in touch for sure. Yeah, I'm going to be out there in Florida. We'll definitely hook up. So <laughs> see you soon. Let's do it. You'll uh, inspire me to get back into some, uh, some racquetball again. Some racquetball. I've got right. a few bruises right now, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. See ya. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Nathan Crane Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and share this on social media. Then head over to NathanCrane.com for your free ebook. So when we're talking about, you know, what are these underlying causes and conditions of these chronic diseases, cancer, diabetes, heart disease, they all have very similar, if not identical causes. And that's the thing is when we get to the root cause of these diseases, we can not only prevent these diseases from ever happening, but empower our bodies to heal from them. In every one of our cells, we have tens and hundreds of thousands of chemical reactions that are happening every second that are cycling uh, back and forth, and it's like sort of a, a yin and yang. And you know, for me, the soul, soul's purpose is evolution. It doesn't care about comfort, it cares about evolution. Mm. And so I think so long as we are following our soul, then we will evolve. And I think what sometimes blocks us from living our purpose, from manifesting that next level of our expression, is we have not evolved. There is also a time for letting go all the expectations and relax and just breathe and be grateful for what you have achieved.